So for, for those in the listening audience, I am lying on the bed sideways and Alex is sitting in his chair. This is a highly suggestive podcasting studio, but uh, I don't mind because I, I just had a delicious falafel sandwich from, what is it, Eastside Pockets? Yep. I was so hungry. I can't believe, I, I mean, I can believe it because I didn't have much for lunch, but I was just like, oh, he better not be like, if I pull up there and be like, okay, let's go get the sandwiches, I was going to kill you. Oh, I ordered them at 4.30. Oh, wow. I didn't want to forget. That's... Anyways. You were talking recently, or we were talking on the phone, and you mentioned that you were out shooting with your own little Zeiss Icon camera. Yes. And I know you shoot a lot of 8x10 and a lot of 4x5 and a lot of Hasselblad stuff. Yes, yes. So why why did you go for that? So I, I just kind of signed up for a, uh, a portfolio review in Chicago, the Filter Festival in September. And I thought to myself, I don't need any validation for any old work. I'm not going there to like get a a gallery gig or anything like that, you know, or some show or, you know, I, I'm there to kind of meet people and make friends. And the currency of that uh, atmosphere is photos. And I, I had the camera, this little folding Zeiss Icon camera that was out in Arizona for a year. I mean, I left it out there because I thought I was coming back, you know, last March. I thought I was coming back in three weeks. So it was like no big deal. But a year and some change later, you know, I got to come back. Actually, it was almost a year exactly. I just took it back and started making images with it. What I liked about it is that there was a, a level of imprecision and just kind of like, let's take pictures of things that you like. And that that then precipitated me getting uh, an enlarger off of Craigslist for like 75 bucks. Great enlarger, by the way. Like these Bessler 23C2s or whatever. It only goes up to like medium format. But I'll tell you something. It's like, these things are tanks. And um, so I, I just like, what is the simplest way that I can start making pictures again in an analog way. And all the, you know, the eight by 10 and everything, that's not something that you can just kind of go out and do after a hiatus, you know. You, you really have to kind of work your way up to it. And I think a lot of, you know, something that I, I struggle with is wanting to be, and I, I bet you can identify with this, I want to be taken seriously as a photographer and as an artist. And so I want to make pictures that let you, that communicate that as opposed to what's really on my mind. And, and so it becomes this very, like I have a keen sense for what looks artistic, which isn't necessarily the same thing as being artistic it's like it's there's you know the best feedback or very accurate feedback i got when i was in photo schools i showed a body of work it the uh, the assignment was you're going to another planet and you can never come back to this planet and you have to take 10 pictures that will represent life on this planet as you know it and i took very kind of arty black and white pictures and you know, whatever. And the guy said, you are on a mission to be a great photographer. 
And I was like, yeah, you know, and, like, and that's what these pictures tell me. It's not that, you know, and, and by the way, they're very well made and they're, they're but you're taking yourself very seriously and that's good. But these are not personal photos. These are, I'm on a mission to, to be a great photographer. And I struggle with that. You know, I mean, there's, there's this sense of needing validation constantly. And boy, if social media hasn't monetized and weaponized that, you know, to the nth degree where that's all that's left. And because I never want to be a member of a club that would have me as a member, I like immediately recoiled from Instagram and Twitter and all that, you know, and Facebook. I mean, in terms of like showing my images there, because it just felt like it became such an impersonal platform or space mm-hmm. for work. And it's not that my work is so tremendously sensitive, but, you know, when you're making personal work, when you're making fine art, it is a, a thing of vulnerability. The work today, to a certain degree, has become, I don't know if sanitized is the word, but it's been intellectualized and commodified. I think a good example of that is nowadays when I see conversations about, oh, should I go to film school? Should I go to photography school? A lot of people will who are already in the industry say, go to business school. Yeah. And I think that's totally valid advice and I in a lot of ways agree with it. You know, if you truly want to be a, make a career as a filmmaker or a photographer, then having business sense is just as valuable as being a good artist. But that shift from being like, go pursue a life as an artist versus go be good at business. Yeah. And I think while you were talking about that that icon, I couldn't help but think of the Holga. Mm-hmm. And it's a shame that you can't buy them new anymore. You can find them on eBay for about 40 bucks. I think they discontinued them, didn't they? No, I think you can still get them. I thought, I thought Freestyle they... photo. Yeah. Oh. No, I think they they wouldn't stop making those. I thought they stopped. All right. Well, maybe I'm wrong. But yeah. either way, maybe they thought they were... Whatever. It's like the perfect example of that, right? Yeah. It's, it's a camera that's designed... Well, I want to say it's designed to be broken, but it's got a lot of imperfections in Mm -hmm. it that is designed to go out and shoot for fun it's classified as a toy camera yeah for a reason and it kind of allows you to just focus on that and i'm sure there are plenty of holga competitions or just like there are movies shot on an iphone and all of that but i think you hit the nail on the head when talking about it's now everything's a side hustle and i actually can identify with that really well when I first started shooting mm-hmm. and my dad taught me the exposure triangle on, on the first Canon Rebel digital. And I just went out and I shot a thousand pictures of our cats. Mm-hmm. And then immediately I was like, oh, I want to bring it to track meets. and I'm going to shoot all, yeah. all the guys running around. And then it turned into maybe I could sell these really fast yeah like within a couple months i was just like maybe i can sell these to parents and family and like i wasn't that good Mm -hmm. but it was just instantly how can i make a business out of this and i never i i very rarely was thinking how can i make how can i be a better artist it was just how can i make more money doing this and everybody has a folder of 
or maybe not everybody, but I did like inspiration yeah. images. And, you know, some, sometimes it's a Pinterest board, sometimes it's a folder. And mine was full of things that I thought were cool and interesting and they'd be fun to shoot. But in the back of my mind, they'd be like, oh, I would put this on my model mayhem profile. Or mm-hmm. I would do this to try to sell it to X, Y, and Z. And I, I have now spent the last, let's say, five years trying to go backwards and repair that damage and just try to enjoy photography and do it for myself. Well, I don't think you did damage. I think it's actually a really smart idea to be a good business person. Like, I, I think, you know, the the reality is is that you know, successful artists have to have a sense of business. You know, they really do. I mean, and, and this this myth of the free-spirited artist and all that, it, that usually comes with some independent funding. You know, like it, I think about like Gauguin, who was the son of a very prominent doctor, I think. And he was able to draw all the time because he didn't have to worry about the light bill. But people who are like actually trying to make a living as an artist in the creative world, like you got to be able to make the numbers work. Mm -hmm. And there is, you know, you might have a longer career, but you might not be as satisfied. Well, I, I think the other side too, is if you spend too much time, like you said, shooting for other people essentially and tailoring your work to, who you think who your audience is or who you think your audience is uh, whether that's on Instagram or your clients or whatever is it's really easy to get burnt out doing totally and then in my experience it was just like okay this isn't fun anymore or like I'm only taking my camera out for paid gigs and I'm not shooting for fun anymore and I don't even know what that's like anymore I don't even know what that is yeah, I don't even know how to how to do that. And now, you know, now I I've figured it out. I'm working on it. You know, I'll take I'll I'll take my camera on trips, and and now I'm fighting with the balance between like snapshots and capturing the moment versus you know trying to stop and like set up and like make a good image. But that's another thing. But yeah, it's just easy to get burnt out doing focusing yeah. only on that. Well, imagine how it feels to be a commercial photographer. And always having to follow trends and to remain commercially viable and no one's buying your work because your your work is being crowded out by a lot of the same. And it's all you can do. It's like if you're just a really good sign painter and all of a sudden it got really easy to paint signs, which it has, and your competition is a global royalty-free stock market, you know, that's, that's a lonely place too. Mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, that the pursuit of relevance or meaning, I don't think it has changed too, too much. I mean, the, the paths for relevance have changed. And what was really, you know, that what used to be the real technical hurdles, like if you don't know how to use these tools, you're screwed. You know, but now it's the, the ways that we can communicate and the ways that we can create work that it's valid. You know, it th- those hurdles have, have kind of disappeared. 
And so, and we're also competing for the attention of the world and it's measured in clicks and in impressions. And sometimes that's like a one second thing. And for so back to the folding camera, <laughs> you know, is I just, I, I, I took it out and I just started, I go on my daily walk or every other day walk. And I just take pictures on that route and, and just practicing making images and thinking in terms of, Instead of having a, if I was a recording or a musician, having a, a large kind of a large studio with all the perfect production tools and stuff, it's I'm going out with an acoustic guitar and I'm recording what's there with what I got. And it's like one microphone and that's that. And it, it's not to say that this work is that good, but what I'm doing, I'm having to rely on on tools that are are going to give me some chance, but I, I have some control of it, but it's I'm not photoshopping any of this stuff. I'm developing, you know, in my basement and I'm making prints on just, you know, Ilford paper and I'll I'll selenium tone it for archival purposes, but it's not like that I'm not trying to be too clever. And the natural tendency, and I'm, when I'm looking at my contact prints and all that stuff, is to really want to, oh, that's the really, that's the flash, that's the picture that has a lot of flair, if you will, as opposed to, what's the one you really like here? You know, that you really kind of hit you as, oh, that's cool. You know, like getting, and so we're kind of at the same spot. It's like getting, falling back in love with the process you know, and that's something we talk about a lot with our business. It's like we could pursue these clients that probably could pay us a lot of money, but it's it's not that it's not worth it. It's just like that's not who we are, and that's not where we want to go. I've I follow a lot of YouTubers, filmmakers, photographers, post production, three D artists, whatever, and I'm seeing I see this on TikTok and Instagram too. A lot of ads. A lot of commercials, whether they're with people or not, you, know, you can film in your dining room. And yeah. sometimes, like there's this one in particular where it's a it's an ad for some energy drink or some mm -hmm. alcoholic seltzer or something. And, you know, the can's like flying through the air and there's sound effects and yeah. there's like squishing oranges and stuff. I think it's by Daniel Schiffer on YouTube. And he's very talented and it's a very creatively made video. And I, I see it everywhere. I see them just every day online. Not that ad in particular, just that style of ad. And like, I, we have all the tools to do that. Yeah. You know, we have the backdrops, the the lights, the ability to make all those effects in, in post-production. We can do all that. But then would it be fun? No. And And I think, and that's the exact same conclusion I've been coming to is just, that is cool, and maybe maybe one of these days when I'm bored, I'll I'll give it a whirl just to see what it's like, you know, just to dip my toes in, see if I like it, just to see what all the buzz is about. But otherwise, like I I prefer, and maybe this is maybe I'm becoming old fashioned because I I was just thinking, 
I remember running into if this will tie back together, I promise. I was at a, one of those free concerts that WBRU used to give out. Okay. Back when they were a thing. And I ran into a photographer there taking pictures of the band. It was uh, Young the Giant in a basement bar concert, acoustic concert. And he seen, you know, he looked competent. He looked like he knew, he knew what he was doing. And I go to his website later just because. And he touted that he never photoshops anything. He mm-hmm. only shoots JPEG. Like He is a crusty old film guy. Mm-hmm. And he's shooting digital. And at the time, I was taking it back. I'm like, this guy's not going anywhere. Like, you yeah. got to do something. You got to stay with the times. And now I'm that guy. Yeah. And now I'm seeing these posts on Instagram of other photographers that I follow, of other filmmakers that I follow that are creating just very visually compelling, stunning work. And it's heavily Photoshopped. It's at the point, I mean, Photoshop has sky replacement built in now. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you, you can look at an image and, like, how do I know that this is real, so to speak? Like, what is real? But that's a whole other podcast. And it, I, I went to Utah and Colorado and New Mexico recently, and I was taking a ton of pictures, kind of, as you know, in the landscape photographer mindset rather than the, like, oh, this is pretty, take a quick snapshot mindset. And I caught myself trying to over-edit stuff and trying to emulate those in you know one could say overdone images and it's just when when can you just focus on being a good photographer and making what you have in front of you or making being a good filmmaker and and telling a good story without you know throwing in all the animation and which i I love doing but like where's that line and maybe that's the beauty of being an artist is every, it's all subjective and everyone can do their own thing and specialize in their own thing. But I just realized I'm becoming that, nah, I'm not going to do all that kind of guy. Well, I, I mean, I think here, here's the other part is that learning how to just make peace with making a, making a cliche. Like there are so many cliches out there and there's nothing wrong. And Keith Carter, uh, an, an artist and photographer, I truly admire. I said, yeah, no, you can shoot a cliche. It's okay. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Like you can take that pic, take the picture, right? Like, and that really for me has been very helpful because it's like you know I I'm always editing before I make I, I take the picture and it's like I edit myself right out of any experience. It's like take the picture, see what happens. Maybe it is stupid. Mm-hmm. Maybe it, it maybe you don't have to print it, but you can take it. And you've never been to Utah. So take the pictures. Be a fanboy for nature. It's oh, all right. Yeah. And on another note, it was difficult to do that with the swarms of people that were there on 5 a.m. on a Tuesday. It was sure. Wild. Proving that you're not the only one with the same great idea. Sure. And I was one of those people. I can't I yeah. can't criticize more of the same mindset. Of course not. It's like going to Yosemite National Park it, because Ansel Adams, that's where he championed Yosemite. And all the large format photographers go to Yosemite and oh, oh yeah, and it's half dome and it's the same. You know, you can you can almost put your tripod legs in the exact same spot that Ansel Adams did. I'm sure someone's figured that out. And hey, why not? Right. You know, why the hell not? Yeah. And I think that I think that is important to to remember and not just you know try to think like oh I want to be different. 
I'm the artist. I want to see it with my eyes. Like, well, my eye can see the the cliche image too. Yeah, and you know something. I'm I'm just kind of getting in back into the habit of. Well, right now I kind of because our our business is kind of humming along. I don't feel like I have anything to lose, Mm -hmm. and so I can have this side hustle, if you will, or I can have this kind of side project. Passion. Passion. I can kind of get back. It's like, I got nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. I don't need to prove anything. It does not need to be a business. Right. It's it's not going to be a business. And, and that's something that I've kind of wrestled with my entire adult life is how do I take this thing that's very close to my heart and somehow, and I think about it all the time, and somehow translate that into some viable income. And it's like, oh, you don't have to. Right. You know, and that's something that people have always said, but it's always been, well, if I'm going to think about it all the time, I might as well, you know, and it just doesn't work that way. It didn't work that way. And I also, it it allows me to not have to be so, feel guilty for not really caring so much about commercial work. I mean, it's a different part of the brain. It's like I'm solving a problem for someone else, which I love. Like, that's what we do at Oyster Farm. We really do solve people's problems like we help them communicate in a way that they can't normally and that that's a huge thing and i love that i I, that's kind of my buzz for it you know and but it's it's not where my creativity is flourishing you know i mean it is though or i should say those creative muscles are a little bit different you know the visual like what I'm doing with my little folding camera shooting in black and white doesn't have a huge commercial market, you know? And I actually don't think when I go to these portfolio reviews that anyone's going to look at them and be like, oh my God, I've never seen anything like this before in my life. You are the new blood. It's like, no, I'm not. I'm a 51-year-old white dude. Like, I am not the new blood. I am the dictionary definition of the old blood, you know? I am, you know, so, but my motive for going to these things, and I was thinking about this, is just to start building relationships and connections and having a community. And like I said, the currency is photos. You know, this is what I'm doing and this is why I'm doing it. And what am I, what do I want to do with my life? I mean, I know what I want to do with my life. It's just, what, what does that look like? And I don't quite know how that, what that path is. No one does. And that, you know, you're at another stage in your life and it's really important to kind of just, get pretty set or get pretty clear on like, what is it you really love to do? Because boy, oh boy, there's going to be all sorts of distractions, you know, family, house, you know, career. Like you, you don't get to be a starving artist. You know, you don't get to like live out of a van and climb mountains, eating ramen noodles I mean, I suppose you could do that, but what else are you, what are you going to give up? We, we've talked about that and yeah. I don't think that's going to be one of the options. Non-starter. Because, and, and that's, I, and here's kind of like a, a sub chapter of our conversation is like the fantasy of being an artist or what that is and the reality, mm-hmm. you know, and I think the reality of being a, a successful artist is that you do have a good business sense. Like yeah. you are giving a fair price. You are running, you are connecting with people and you're you're selling work and you have a good catalog of it and you're kind of seeing trends and making stuff 
not necessarily in that, you know, not, not just following trends, but yeah, David Bowie is my perennial example of a guy or an artist who was an amazing musician, incredibly talented. But did you ever notice that his career kind of followed trends? Like you look at, you know, he wrote, he made an album in the 80s that sounded really 80s, had saxophones and all this stuff. It sounded nothing like the Ziggy Stardust stuff, which sounded nothing like his earlier work. Like he was an acoustic guitar player. And then he became the kind of like this acid rock, you know, space alien dude. And then, you know, he kind of went into this art house, you know, the Berlin stuff. You know, and then he kind of came out of that, and in the '80s he was doing, you know, Blue Jean and Let's Dance, and you know, then he did like a techno album, and then he did electronic music, and then he kind of, you know, all this stuff. And it's like he didn't invent these genres, but he made albums in those genres that killed. Yeah, that's that's the amazing thing about David Bowie. Is that he didn't invent? He wasn't like, oh yes, I invented, you know, the the I brought I was the first one to use a saxophone in pop music or rock and roll. Like, uh, uh-uh. uh, he just wrote an album that kicked. Yeah, what was it? Oh gosh, yeah, I think it was Let's Dance. You know, early '80s or mid '80s, and then he did another one. Oh God, the guy's prolific. I mean, he's he's no longer with us, but he was. That's a good example of someone. And then you look at someone like, and I, I like to use the examples of musicians because I think music is something that we all can kind of relate to. I think about Prince. And there's a guy who just very, very clear all along. I mean, just his set, you can tell a Prince song from a mile away. Mm-hmm. And... I think it's also fair to say that he is a incredibly or was an incredibly successful commercial musician, hands down. I mean, the guy, like, that was his thing. He had, he, he shaped pop music. He shaped, I don't know what, funk or whatever. I mean, he just, the guy was a genius, you know, and a very savvy genius at that mm-hmm. you know and, and you'll find if you look through art history and stuff that like a lot of these successful artists like they either had some in- independent funding or they were really really savvy and right place right time and they made sure that they were the right place at the right time and you know the history is full is not full of people who you know there are a lot of people who were just as good as van gogh who just, I don't know, mm-hmm. yeah. So, I guess getting back to it is like make the work. You know, the best advice I ever got was take pictures you like and show them to people. Yeah. And with all the technology out there, it's been really easy for me to kind of like fall out of love with it because it's just there's nothing special about it anymore. There's no magic. And for me, I guess the magic gets back to the real beginning of exposing light onto film, developing that film, putting light through that film onto silver paper and developing it and seeing what happens. Mm -hmm. 
that's it, you know, and, and this is the world around me and I'm not going to, you know, Paris, France or some exotic field trips. I'm just photographing the world around me, my immediate surroundings. And those are the kind of the constraints. It's like what, when I say no to all these things, all it kind of, not, I won't call them shortcuts, but like I go on my daily walk. It is the same walk that I go on all the time. I don't vary, you know, I'm a creature of habit and I'm bringing my camera along and it forces me or it, it invites me to be a more observant walk. It forces me, or it invites me to be mindful now where I can I'm looking around and and what's funny is I'll look I'll see something and be like oh that would make a great picture and I have the camera right in my pocket and I don't take the picture and it's like well what's that all about that's just stupid so it's also practicing that that would make a good picture and taking out my camera and taking the damn picture right I still I, I get in my way all the time there's no I have no excuse wait I did I was there was a day the uh, last week where I was at the dog park well, park, not technically a dog park, but, and the, the light, it was around sunset. Mm-hmm. The light was, I've never seen it like this before. It was stunning. Yeah. It, the, it was a big, like dark overcast kind of day. And there was, there was just a little sliver of daylight below the cloud where the sun was setting. Yep. So the sun had, had now was bouncing off of all these massive, big, dark clouds and, just casting everything in this really warm orange glow that yep. wasn't just it was like golden hour but diffused yeah yeah it yeah it was yeah. real weird but oh it was i think stunning. i know that yeah i think i know the night you were talking about yeah it was stunning yeah and then it, it it just downpoured for like three minutes and there was the the most vibrant double rainbow i've ever seen and then the sun went down yeah and it started raining and, and so I started walking the dog home. But I I kept having to just stop and stare at the sky and like I'm in the middle of Providence. It's not exactly, you know, a grand landscape yeah. kind of area, especially where we were walking, but I was just taken aback. I was like, "Wow." And, and and the clouds were were layered in such a way that they all had this like orange halo around them. Mm-hmm. And I didn't take a single picture of the whole thing. Oh well, I have I have I have a great camera on my phone, which yeah. was with me. Actually, it might have been dead at the time, but either way, I I didn't even occur to me yeah to take a picture with it. But I still remember it; it's still stuck in my head, there you and go. that counts for something. Totally, I think it's okay. I mean, that's the other thing. It's like sometimes it's often it's okay to just be audience. Yeah, you know, and be like, "That's amazing." Yeah. However, when I'm out there with my camera with the intention, with an intention of I want to take pictures and I, I see something that would be cool and that voice says, don't take the picture. Eh. Yeah. Eh. It's like, that's what I kind of push through. You know, I mean, they're, being out in Ithaca, New York, it's like, it's some gorgeous sunsets. And you can easily, and now that we're kind of, you know, family is kind of, selling this house and the the sunsets that i get to see from this space i can now count on one hand it's it's a different kind of mindfulness you know and that this is okay don't take these things for granted but you know you're always taking things for granted 
you can't, you know, that, that's the human condition. I mean, if we were 100% mindful about everything around us at all times, nothing would get done. You know, and so that's why, you know, back to the folding camera, it's like, I, t you know, I don't have to worry. I know it's not going to be a perfect picture. And, and in full disclosure, I'm now taking um, out my late wife's Roloflex twin lens. Cool. Yes. And I was wondering if you had one of those kicking around. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and it's a great camera. 120, and, right? Yeah. And it's... The, the reason uh, I justify it because the lens on the Zeiss Icon is really kind of flat. And this camera allows me to get into spaces. Like I'm seeing things now because I'm kind of like my eye is getting back, you know. I'm seeing things that this Zeiss Icon can't photograph as well. And so it's like, okay, that, that situation needs a camera that can actually, you know, the picture that I'm seeing requires a little bit more control, but that's okay. You know, it's, it, it's, I don't need to, it, like, I am growing, I'm developing, I am getting better. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, if you start training for a marathon, like you're going to get better shoes as or you're going to like the things that you that were kind of complicated as you were starting to train those aren't the problems that you're going to be dealing with as you get in better shape and that's what's go going on like i'm getting in better visual shape because i'm taking pictures i'm looking and now i can see stuff mm -hmm. same lens size or whatever it's just kind of neat so and i'm also not holding myself to well i can only use one camera that's the other thing. It's like, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. I'm free. You know, I don't need, uh, there are enough boundaries out there that I don't need to, I don't need to continue to impose more on, on me. And, and in fact, the things that kind of make me, I think at the heart of this, my frustration is that I, I'm jealous or I have that fear of missing out or whatever of all the people who have not put these boundaries on themselves and they're just out there doing it. Yeah. And it's like, hmm. Don't you know, in order to be authentic, you have to struggle? It's like, how stupid is that? No. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a, you know, when it, whenever you hear people talk about like God's will and, you know, I don't know what God's will is. I can tell you what God's will is. I mean, I'm not a theologian or whatever. God's will is for you to be happy as often as possible. Full stop. There is no like divine presence that's like, oh, if you're not suffering, if you're not kind of denying yourself the simple, you know, healthy pleasures of being on this planet, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, you're going to miss out. Yeah. I don't want to get all, you know, that's as religious as we're going to get, you know, or need be. But it's like, why do, why do artists feel the need to torture themselves or anyone needs to torture themselves or deny themselves like, oh, I really like doing it. I guess that means I can't do it. Right. It's crazy. Well, I think that kind of ties back into everything has to be a side hustle. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's, the, you know, and the people who are really good at it, they just love doing it. And the people who are really good at like the whole internet and YouTube stuff, 
Like, that's what they really love to do. Right. There's a few that I follow that I, I you can totally tell the difference between the ones who are always selling themselves and are always, like, building to the next big thing. Yeah. Because that's part of their business model. And the ones who... Just like Gerald Undone, who I've sent you a few of his videos before. He's got he's got the the purple and the orange background. Oh yeah, yeah. He does reviews and really in depth, like scientific. Well, I guess maybe not scientific, but he he goes way more in depth in his comparisons and reviews than most people. Mm -hmm. And he just just loves it. Yeah. And I I see some others, and, and Philip Bloom's the same way. Yeah. You know, he just makes videos like the whole a7s3 the movie was like 48 minutes long yeah and it was just it was a lot of tests and it was a lot of side-by-side comparisons but i think half of that time he was taking video of his cats yeah and you can really i I enjoy watching those videos the even curtis judd is another one yeah he just loves doing it totally and i mean i don't know why you would really get into this if you didn't but I can tell the few who it feels more like a marketing ploy. Oh yeah. Or a this is just one of their income streams. Yeah. And it's not as it's not as fun. I mean there's sure there are still some good ones out there. Tony Northrup mm-hmm. kind of strikes me that way. But you know, there's still some good info. It's just yeah, it's more fun to watch the people who like seem to be way more passionate and like they don't care about the views. They don't care about the subscribers. They're just doing it because it's fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's that whole like influencer culture that's yep. been, you know, there's a backlash. It's like, well, if you give this stuff for me for free, I'll give you exposure. It's like your exposure doesn't pay the light bill. But yep. I think, you know, I remember when, when I was, you know, a kid. You know, the idea of special forces and, you know, green berets and all that stuff was really fascinating to me. Like, I I mean, I just wanted to be a soldier, you know, playing army and commandos and all that stuff. And as I got to, you know, the draft age and had to register and in my, you know, early adulthood, what I realized is that the people who go into those fields, like, and I know a few now who have done it and... The people who become like special forces or special warfare operators, whatever, in whatever branch of the military they're in, that's all they really love to do. They really love to do that. They didn't just like happen into it. Like they're like, I'm going to do this. This is all I want to do. Mm -hmm. And as opposed to, well, maybe I will. I don't know. And I I think that like there's a place for everyone in this world and the people who are really good at kind of like being these Instagram influencers who are authentic, who are helpful, you know, and understand kind of the mechanics of what that takes, like they're doing it and you don't have to like mimic that. Like I'm so glad Curtis Judge is out there so we don't have to do that. You know, he can do that and I and I can enjoy looking at that stuff and we can kind of go and do the stuff that we really like. I mean, our business, is, like I said, it, it, we really like helping people. We like, those are the clients the the people who are trying to make the world a better place and they just need some help communicating that. That's it. Everything else is, you know, like not here to get rich. I'd like to be wealthy. Right. But that's <laughs> like, not that's not the driving motivation yeah. behind it. I, and be, and there and I've worked for photographers who are just, you know, they're 
they just can't stop hustling and they don't get any richer or they don't get any better. It's like there's no, they're just spinning their wheels in the mud because they don't really love what they're doing, but they just feel like they got to do it and they're in constant warfare with themselves. So that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, I think that I think we covered covered a lot, and I've I already have ideas of what I want to talk about next time. That's true. All right. Okay. Well, we're gonna stop there. We're gonna get into you know Oystercast after hours, and I th- actually I think Meg is home, and so th- that would get weird. Well, I, I, yeah, I know the dog was whining. Yeah, whiny dog. All right. This was a good conversation. It was. You inspired me to pull my old Kodak out. All right. Get a roll of film. There you go. Thank you for listening to the OysterCast. My name is Ron Cowie. And we will be back. We're going to, I'm going to, I'm putting this out there. If Alex and I aren't talking, I'm going to be interviewing some women artists and women in, in technology or women in the arts because it's important. That is an intention. I'm doing that on purpose. And I have a list of people who I, I want to get to know better and talk with and hear what they have to say about their work. They're fascinating. That's just a little sneak peek. Looking okay. Forward to it. Oh, yeah. All right. I'll talk to you.